Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to have you with us another Wednesday evening, reflecting into Pope Francis, uh, the man, and, and his thought. Uh, if you are a faithful listener to this program, you know that we have been going through his exhortation on the new evangelization, which he called the joy of the gospel. So, um, just from the title, you know that uh, he has placed an emphasis on this spiritual fruit of joy and how it communicates the essence of the gospel. Um, and what we've been doing with Joy of the Gospel is really just working through it paragraph by paragraph, making sure that we are uh, distilling the key truths and really just reflecting into the importance uh, of what Pope Francis is saying And so, once again, this Wednesday, uh, I do have Bob Cross with me. So, Bob, it is great to have you with me this evening. Excellent to be here, Joe. Thank you. These last few weeks, Bob, we took stock into Pope Francis, the person, and where he's in the news by pulling from Father Dwight Longnecker, the popular priest, blogger, and author. And he offered for us 10 reflections on if Pope Francis annoys you. And I got some really good feedback from those two weeks in that people were, I think, appreciating the importance of, A, uh, the gift of time, right? There isn't anything that Pope Francis has said or done that is against the teachings of the church. And if you think you've got them all figured out, give them time, right? And point B, you cannot judge what you do not know, right? You cannot judge what is subjective. And by that, I mean what is hidden, unseen, internal, okay? You judge what is objective, what is external, revealed, seen. You cannot judge what motivates a person to do what they do. That's what our Lord condemns. So you have to take a step back and appreciate the context. Another thing that we talked about, because of today's social media and how scandal drives ratings, there's a tendency to just pull something out of context and, you know, put it on the front page or, you know, as a headline on a on a blog or website and let people go crazy with it. That's the world we live in today. It's about taking a step back again and appreciating Pope Francis for the person he is and essentially every story that's reported to appreciate the story for what it is as opposed to what it is not, a headline. So very important. I do think it, Bob, helped our listening audience to take that article and to just spend two weeks reflecting on those 10 bullet points that are so important for us as just not Catholics, but, but faithful Christians uh, to better understand this man who is so important in the world. I hope it helps some of our listeners. I yeah. mean, to, to really go through some of the, the, you know, the points and some of the concerns that have surfaced with different encounters that the Pope has had with the media. And um, I know it's helped me. It, it really did. I, cause I, from the very beginning, you know, um, uh, what, almost going on a year and a half ago now, the, when when Pope Francis was elected as uh, you know um, our our Holy Father, I you know read all about the man and I didn't know anything about him and all I was hearing for months after that was what the media was you know mm-hmm. kind of just dishing out in minor small portions mm-hmm. you know, the way they do and we've talked about that at length so 
um, it's good to get back into the joy of the gospel this week. Yeah. Uh, because again, to really know the man is to read this document. That's right. This document on the new evangelization that really focuses in on, yes, uh, this call to be joyful and to enter deeper into our faith so that joy may be, you know, existentially real. Um, but also, you know, it's, it's a document, Bob, where he touches so many different aspects of the faith. Uh, and so here we are, enjoy the gospel, paragraph 71, where we are made to look at uh, the challenges that some of these urban cultures present. And I love the fact that off the top here, Bob, he makes the point, it's an interesting thing, and this is Pope Francis talking, it's an interesting thing that the new Jerusalem, the holy city, is the goal towards which all of humanity is moving. He says, it is curious that God's revelation tells us that the fullness of of humanity and of history is realized in a city. Now, he doesn't necessarily get into St. Augustine. Uh, His great work, The City of God, uh, talks about this a great deal. But his point is, we have to be thinking about the new evangelization within the context of cities. And by that, what he wants us to see is that each and every city, Bob, has its own rhythm, has its own tenor, has its own feel. And this is what we need to engage, that part of the quote-unquote encounter and the culture of encounter that we've talked about so much as it relates to the new evangelization, that one by one, just as our Lord did, we are called to evangelize and catechize. We have to be aware and we have to be present, Bob, to the fact that each and every individual has a background, has a history, a lived background, a lived history, which was lived in a very specific spot geographically, and that influences the way that individual thinks, acts, speaks, behaves. Okay, so this is what he's drawing attention to, and I think this is very, very important, because if we don't, then we may fail in our evangelization. So he says we need to be contemplative. We need to uh, fix our eyes on what more can be done in and with our cities to turn them from places of poverty and despair into places of life and hope, one by one. And if we're going to do this well, we have to appreciate where each and every individual comes from. Uh, so important as we talk about you know, evangelizing a city. Because I, I get the, the question asked a lot, Bob, well, we shouldn't be so concerned really about the city. Should we, Joe? It's just about the person. And certainly, b- before we have cultures, we have individuals. Uh, St. Francis says, to sanctify society, you must f- first sanctify self. And clearly, person then society is what our faith is about. But part of that evangelizing the person is to understand and appreciate where, the, where they come from. I mean, even if you look at the Gospels, the four Gospels, the four evangelists make a point to write according to their audience. We call them evangelists for a reason, Bob. Okay, do we think about this? We say the Gospel authors, the Gospel writers. Well, we actually call them the evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because what they're doing is the very thing we're talking about now. Matthew, he's writing to a Palestinian Christian Jewish audience. That's a different audience than who John's writing to. Right? There's more Mediterranean audience. See, if we can get a hold of this, we can begin to appreciate a fundamental uh, aspect of evangelization, and this is is what he's drawing our attention to. Well, sure, and if if you look at the you know just kind of the anatomy or the nature of cities in in and of themselves, you look at like New York City, for example, 
Um, you have the, you know, the boroughs. Uh, you have all these different neighborhoods. You have Little Italy. You have communities and neighborhoods um, kind of identified or even personalized by virtue of ethnicity and religious groups and lifestyles and cultures. And so why not in a city to draw out how you can have all these different lifestyles and all these different ways of living to point out you know, the cultures that are just concentrated within a city in and of, in and of itself? Mm-hmm. And and so to to draw that comparison to the city of God from Revelations is is um, you know very very poignant I think when he's speaking in terms of the new evangelization and using a city as a means of being able to describe how we can go about putting into effect or putting into action the new evangelization. Amen. And this is really what he speaks to in paragraph seventy two and you know one of his closing lines here in paragraph seventy two you know we must examine this more closely in order to enter into a dialogue like that of our Lord and the Samaritan woman at the well where she sought to quench her thirst. You know what does our Lord do? Does he evangelize this woman just in the sense of her being a woman? No, that's part of it. The fact that he that fact that he's even going to uh, speak with a woman was countercultural. And in many ways, you know, our Lord is sending us a message there. But the dialogue itself is about who she is and where she comes from by way of city, town, her identity, her background. And what did we just talk about? I mean, Bob, she's a Samaritan woman. She's not a woman, a Samaritan woman. What's the significance of that? Remember the importance of the town of Samaria. Remember a huge point that comes to us from the Old Testament. All of the Prophetic books come to us because of the break of the 12 tribes. The 10 northern tribes, Bob, went up to worship at Mount Gerizim, okay? And they started to intermingle with five foreign tribes. And those five foreign tribes introduced these five foreign gods. Okay, why is this important? Well, in the exchange between our Lord and the Samaritan woman, he he asks a question, which I believe to be a very important question. In fact, Bob, I'm led to go to the Gospel of John right now. So as opposed to just quoting it, let us go back into the Gospel of John and really grab a hold of what's going on between Christ and the Samaritan woman so we might uh, come to a better appreciation of what's going on as it relates to why Pope Francis brings in the Samaritan woman into uh, the document of the joy of the Gospel. So if you go to John chapter 4, verse 7, There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? So here you can begin to gather the importance of her being just not a woman, but a woman from Samaria. He's a Jew. He's a faithful Jew. She goes on, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. The water that I shall give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, something happened in that moment, Bob, because the woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst 
nor come here to draw. And then the all-important command and observation, Bob, as our Lord speaks. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Then our Lord's insight into what we were just talking about. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. You have had five husbands, and he whom you now have is not your husband. This you said truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now, Bob, is he a prophet because he knew about her personal marital struggles? No. The Samaritan woman knew well what he understood. Those aforementioned five pagan deities were all called Baal in the Hebrew, which means Lord or husband. When our Lord said to this Samaritan woman, you're right in saying you have no husband. You have five husbands. He's saying you worship five pagan gods, but I am now the one who you are called to worship. He took the historical background, the cultural milieu, everything that this Samaritan woman was about and evangelized her. And how about the fact that he goes to her at high noon, huh? High noon. That means she was actually ostracized, not only from the Samaritan people, but from within her own kin. So when Pope Francis says to us, we need to look at our cities and we need to go to those on the outside, to those who are on the margins, and evangelize them based upon who they are as a child of God, first and foremost, and be mindful of where they come from. Pope Francis is telling us, do so as our Lord does so with the Samaritan woman. And what did he do? He evangelizes the heart and he utilizes this rich backdrop that the Samaritan woman brings to him based on the fact that she's from Samaria. Yeah, and it's, when you put it in that perspective, it's just, um, it starts to really, really drive home what Pope Francis is saying here, you know, about the city and why the city is is used in this part of the, his exhortation. Because <laughs> the city is where everyone goes to do business, you mm-hmm. know, gets into it, and, you know, in the next chapter about evil goes to do business or commerce mm-hmm. in the city. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? Good can go about its business in a much more prolific way, a manner yeah. within the city. And as he's talking to the Samaritan woman and he's talking to her about her five deities and mm-hmm. the way that they had been led astray, I mean, what, what better opportunity for, for our Lord and then for Pope Francis to follow in kind with, um, you know, this is how we go about the new evangelization, how we go about evangelizing. And I, <laughs> I, I, I love this part in the story of the Samaritan woman Bob, listen to these words. What is happening? I really want to, before I I get into this verse, I want to encourage our listeners to listen to these words and ask yourself the question, what is happening here based upon the personal encounter that the Samaritan woman just had with our Lord? This is uh, John 4, verse 20. So the woman left her water jar and went away into the city, okay, and said to the people, come, See a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ, the Christos, the anointed one? They went out of the city and were coming to him. So she was just evangelized, and now she's wanting to tell everyone about it. This is the exponential value of evangelization. 
how the evangelization of one soul leads Bob to the evangelization of many souls. Come and see, we hear in the gospel. Come and see. So important. I mean, you know, we, we go to an amusement park, Bob. We go to a ball game. We go to an event. We have an incredible experience, an incredible encounter with whatever it is that we had an encounter with. Maybe it was a roller coaster ride. Maybe it was a baseball figure. Maybe it was a drama of some sort and you saw an actor that you really like. Whatever it may be. What do you do? After that event is over, you run home and you want to tell everyone about it, right? I remember I, I took my wife to go see a Wicked in San Francisco now uh, several years back. And when I got back, I wanted to tell everyone about it. I mean, there was just this rich paradoxical insight into so many different things as it relates to just not The Wizard of Oz, but other things. And I was just excited. You know, that, that natural excitement that comes from, you know, when you have a personal encounter with, with something or someone. Well, when you have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, there's a supernatural excitement, right? And what do we do? We want to share that excitement with, with anyone and everyone all the time. And this is what the Samaritan woman is doing here, Bob. And collectively, this is what we see in the gospel time and time again. huh? This encounter with our Lord and then the need to share about that encounter. And uh, yeah, so if we want to evangelize our cities, what did she do? She went back to the city and she herself was evangelizing the city. And what was she doing? She was telling about the Christ, the anointed one. I think I found him. And what was evangelizing the people, I'm sure? Her excitement, her enthusiasm. Remember, entheos in the Greek, to bear God within, that robust joy, that robust glow and fervor that just comes when you have found what your heart has been looking for for so long. This is what evangelizes. And certainly this is a point we've talked about so much with Pope Francis himself. This point, I know we've kind of extended uh, that one sentence quite a while here, Bob, but it's so important for us to appreciate this kind of interpersonal dynamic that's going on first between how Christ evangelizes the Samaritan woman, mindful that he's talking to a woman, not from Galilee, Bob, not from Syria, but from Samaria, but also what that leads to, the greater evangelization of a city. Well, you know, and this, this is a pope who understands the cities, as we've said before. He was the, you know, the bishop of, of uh, you know, of the slums. Yeah. And he was serving the very, very, you know, very poor in these densely populated cities in South America. And, you know, I mean, he understands that dynamic and there's a reason why he's really focused on it right here because he realizes that our evangelization has such a much greater effect and a much more concentrated and um, cascading sort of way, as you described there, by virtue of the way that neighborhoods and way the cities, you know, work. Mm -hmm. You see it in, in marketing uh, with social media. It, a lot of the Groupon and some of the things that are taking place that gets very, very viral in the advertising marketing world all started within social groups within cities that like their favorite restaurants or their mm -hmm. favorite, favorite nightclubs mm -hmm. and their, their products. Uh, the early adopters spread very, very fast and virally mm -hmm. within a city. And it's... Um, in, the Pope understands this. He understands that this is where we can do our best work. We really can. Gosh, as you're talking there, Bob, I cannot help but think about how we have this call to, again, going back to Pope Francis's words, fix our gaze upon the city which we live in and challenge ourselves with this, this call that is before us to think of new and creative ways to evangelize our cities, especially mindful of, of course, the social media of today, 
Um, you know, Pope Francis also, Bob, talks about the importance of, you know, signs and just using everything at your disposal. And as I was reading this, I got to thinking, you know, when I was in Oxford a couple years ago and my last summer there, I witnessed something most striking. And it happened actually in front of the Eagle and Child pub, where, of course, J.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis had their famous dialogues. I watched these two men take the sign of that Eagle and Child pub and make another sign like it. But the way in which they did it aroused the curiosity. This is an important word and certainly the language of evangelization. Arouse curiosity. Get the person thinking about a new question to ask. I mean, we've talked about this a lot on this radio program. I just sat and marveled at these two men who used a sign and the the insignia on the sign, and it referenced Christ somehow, but it got their attention because it kind of played off the, uh, the insignia of the Eagle and Child pub itself. And as I was watching them, one couple after another, stopped to talk to them before they went inside the Eagle and Child pub. And these guys are Christians. I think they're Anglicans. They, I was marveling because it, they used signage <laughs> to evangelize. And they had, their, you know, they had their table out with their pamphlets and all the rest. But it was beautiful because I also saw them laying on hands with these different folks. And it's just using everything at your disposal. And this is the kind of thing that Pope Francis is talking about. So again, Bob, there are many opportunities in our own cities where we can do things to arouse curiosity so that we might be able to engage anew the dialogue that is to be had. Uh, So important to be reflecting upon what he challenges us with here, uh, the need to be creative, the need to uh, inspire a new question that ultimately, as we've talked about so often, uh, leads to new beginnings. And he says this challenges us to imagine innovative spaces and possibilities for prayer and communion, which are more attractive and meaningful for city dwellers. And it's Mm -hmm. exactly what we're talking about. You know, it, it, a way that we can reach out and, you know, affect so many more people by virtue of just, you know, simplicity. Like you said, something as simple as a sign, you know, it, it, it's amazing how it can affect and, you know, if, you know, actually have uh, the desired, you know, outcome. We're talking now with Tolkien and Lewis, certainly Tolkien, uh, a devout Catholic, Lewis, you know, one who experienced conversion from atheism to Christianity because of Tolkien, a devout Christian uh, saintly Christians, certainly, they were evangelizing those who, who don't believe in God, and they were utilizing, you know, C.S. Lewis's uh, work, Mere Christianity, I may note, and other of his works to kind of get them to think more critically about the world that's around them, and uh, so that they, again, are asking new questions. It was fascinating. They created the space for them to uh, feel comfortable and to enter into prayer, to enter into communion, you know, and so it is. We are called as a church to do this. Bob, I know within our own Catholic and Christian community, uh, certainly over at St. John's, and I'm recalling when Bishop Soto had come out here, we did that Eucharistic procession and how powerful that was. There were some people asking new questions, and there were people upset, but there are many dialogues to be had. And, and how powerful is that? Some of us have gone over to pray in front of Planned Parenthood. Yeah, now we might not be engaging in that sidewalk counseling, but cars driving by cars stopping, cars um, wanting to show us um, they, they have 10 fingers. <laughs> and, uh, and yet there's something going on there. There's an evangelization going on there because witnessing to truth 
is always evangelization. But it's interesting as I'm thinking about the Planned Parenthood, the occasions where people have actually pulled over on the side of the road over at Cohasset, on Cohasset, and, and have wanted to talk. Uh, it, it's most fascinating. So it's just this call, Bob, to bear witness to our faith in every way possible, and to do so within your means. I mean, we have to understand something that's such an important piece that can never be emphasized enough, and that's the priority of your sacramental vocation. We are husbands and we are fathers, and our witness first and foremost flows out of that. And then we have this call, Bob, to go and to process in the Eucharistic procession, to go to the homeless, to go and pray before Planned Parenthood, to go over to Torres Shelter, to do these things according to God's will. Well, just like you mentioned with the Samaritan woman, she was excited. She wanted that water that Christ was talking about. And as you were processing, as we're processing through the streets of Chico, California, with the uh, Blessed Sacrament, um, people are happy and excited, and other people see that and say, wow, I want some of that. Mm -hmm. How do I get some of that? Mm -hmm. Because there's a joy, and it's joy of the gospel that mm. we're reading from right here yeah. is the essence of what, you know, this is really the, uh, what Pope Francis wants us to, uh, to feel and understand. That's right. And it, it's to never forget that for everything that we're talking about, Bob, it's always about self-evangelization first, right? Because you just don't wake up one day and, and create joy. Joy is a spiritual fruit. Joy is, is that natural outgrowth of, of God living within us, right? It, it just explodes. It, it bursts forth. But if we are not uh, allowing God in our own hearts first, and everything that we're talking about is, is for naught, really. Um, because then when we do do those Eucharistic processions, or if we are then, you know, going to our inner streets within our local urban cultures and evangelizing in new and creative ways like this couple that I was talking about were doing, it's all the more attractive, it's all the more uh, supple, you know, and that's what's, that's uh, certainly what lies at the heart of, of what Pope Francis wants us to see in, in these paragraphs, you know. So as we wrap up, Bob, you know, for our listening audience, I think what's really important for us to understand and, and appreciate is the fact that we need to draw back and we need to ponder. You know, Pope Francis uses the word contemplation. Maybe we can also say ponder. Think about critically how can I engage these different sets of people in ways that would have them thinking more critically about Jesus Christ and always do so out of a living relationship with Jesus Christ. Let us close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.